right about at this time, my best friend ended up passing away. And the difficulty became, you know, his father had a hard time with it. It really affected the project. But throughout, we hadn't signed a single document. We didn't have operating agreements, just no paperwork, just handshake agreements at the end of the day. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I will be your worst podcast host for today. And I'm here with featured guest, Andrew Pierce. Andrew, I love your name. Are you ready to rock? Yes, I am. It's a pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity. Great to have you on. Well, Andrew Pierce is an independent asset protection consultant and the creator of Wyoming LLC attorney.com. He helps business owners from nearly every industry and with nearly any size company to effectively protect their assets through forming LLCs. Andrew, take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life. Of course. So I graduated from college with degrees in mathematics and philosophy, ran a few of my own businesses in the beginning. Some were successful, others weren't, which then led me to this venture. I was leaving my worst investment ever, kind of looking around for something to do and stumbled on Wyoming's laws, which coming out of the Caribbean, that very favorable business laws to a certain extent, there's certain downsides to doing business there. I looked at Wyoming and said, this mirrors a lot of the benefits down there. And I really dove into it and I've given it my life over the last five years. And the nice part has been being able to help small business owners. And then you just receive a variety of questions. So it gives me a lot of experience in different areas, at least hearing tidbits about different businesses. And maybe you could just tell the audience, you know, what is an LLC and why would people, you know, set one up? Of course. Well, LLCs or uh, not LLCs specifically, but businesses first came around on the concept of the corporate bail because they got tired of sending people to debtors prisons. So essentially they wanted to make it so you can invest in a company, but not risk personal bankruptcy. So long as you've not done something egregious, like committed fraud or gross negligence. So, so long as you're an honest investor, you can limit your losses and this promotes business activity. There's also other reasons to have an LLC. There's potential tax benefits, privacy, increased professionalism. But if you're in business, you really shouldn't be running it through your own name. At the very least, you should have an LLC or a corporation. And what is the first kind of benefit of that? Like it's a first line of protection, I guess. Why is it that you shouldn't have your name right up front there? That's an easy one. You know, we have some people call in and it almost feels icky, the privacy aspect. They go, you know, I'm not Steve Bannon. I'm not doing money laundering. But my retort is, I mean, first, you have a constitutional right to do it. But the second one is, would you post all of your account numbers on Facebook and Twitter? No, with your home address, you wouldn't do these things. And so 20 years ago, when you had public LLCs, but public records were documents in the bottom of a courthouse, and you had a fax or request, and they would mail you the information. It was public record, but difficult to access. Now it's all in an online database, so everyone can see where you live, what you own, and start piecing things together. So that's a little bit scarier of a concept. And I think we're also uh, very privacy focused at this point as a nation. So, And I guess 
the other question about it is, let's say, what does it take? Like, what is the, obviously, if someone says, hey, yeah, I got $10,000, should I set up a trust? Well, probably doesn't make sense. But what would you say is the, the reasonable threshold? And maybe even thinking about someone here from Asia where I am, what would be the minimum threshold if they said, I'm going to invest in the U.S. in some, maybe some different assets? And what would you say would make sense to, to set up a trust? I'd say generally you would want to have about a million dollars for your personal net worth. If you're investing in another country, though, I'd say if the investment's over two, two, three hundred thousand is at the very low end of it. But if you're over five hundred thousand, you'll certainly want to begin looking at a trust. Anything below that, you need to look at the carrying costs along with could you just do it through multiple LLCs and insurance? Is it worth the uh, extra effort at the end of the day? But certainly over five hundred thousand, it makes sense. And if you think about my listeners here on this podcast are either, you know, let's say are in the U.S. and outside the U.S., probably mainly in Asia. So is there a different reason why a person living in the U.S. versus a person, a non-U.S. person that's living in Asia would set up a trust? There can be. For example, if you're concerned about the rule of law in your country, you don't want to have all of your assets inside of your home. For example, we've seen it with Hong Kong in particular with what's going on there. So certainly you could move your money over to Singapore. There's no guarantee of stability in those countries. So you get a little bit of geographical diversity. And then also when your money's inside the U.S., we have the rule of law here. The banks don't really steal your money. And if they do, you can sue them and get the money back. It might be a bit of an arduous process, but they're not in the habit of doing that at the end of the day. And one other thing is that, you know, when someone hears about a trust, they think, tax evasion. This person is doing something illegal and they're trying to hide something. But I, I know that it's actually not the case, but maybe you could just help us understand that. Of course. I think that view really stems from the 80s where there were a lot of issues with offshore tax evasion and those things. The IRS and the other authorities have really started cracking down on that. So certainly there's some tax minimization that comes into play. But at the end of the day, it comes down to privacy, protecting your assets, and then also being a vehicle to help you move family to your children and grandchildren in an efficient way. And not just efficiently in terms of taxes, but not giving an 18-year-old a lump sum, you know, making it so they can buy a Jetta, but not a Ferrari, open a lemonade stand, but not a restaurant. You put in those sorts of rules so that way the gifts don't ruin them. Mm. I was just talking the other day about how much I admire people who are, you know, very wealthy, but yet raise their kids you know, in a frugal sort of way. And, you know, that is, a, that is definitely an important thing these days because it can be easy to spoil kids. <laughs> it can. I went to school in Palm Beach County. And so people always talk about trust fund babies and how they have all this money. But the kids that I met that were raised that way didn't have the work ethic. They're not going to perpetuate the family wealth. So we're all sitting here in our mid-30s and they're not doing much and the trust is running out. But the ones that learned, you know, a dollar saved is a dollar earned and learn uh, about hard work. They're doing well for themselves. Mm. So certainly. Okay. Fantastic. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sounds good. So my worst investment ever was actually a series of bad investments. They didn't look bad in the beginning. Of course, you know, they never look bad. That's not why you get into them. And I successfully parlayed it into a larger and larger and in turn worse investment, thinking I'd be able to get out. And successfully I did with only a lot of debt and other things, uh, avoided bankruptcy just barely. 
but it started, I had an equipment leasing company in South Florida, I had tractors and trailers that I leased out to a moving and storage company. Essentially, I had worked at it in college to make some extra money. Truck drivers had terrible credit, even though they made six figures. So you could lease the trucks out to them on favorable terms. Blah, blah, blah. This goes well. I think I'm a very astute businessman. You know, I don't have contracts with the truck drivers, but I know them personally. So I sell that and I've got a friend who's down in the Caribbean and they had the largest undeveloped bay in St. Martin on the Dutch side. It was about 150 acres. So I go down and I love the island. I have a good time and I think, you know, this will be a great place to do business. It's a little bit like the Wild West out there. I mean, there's just no laws at the end of the day, which can be good or bad, ultimately bad for me. But I start off and I'm going to do a jet ski and water sport rental company. Essentially, my friend will secure the contracts with the bay that we're in. He'll take care of the local licensing because he grew up there. He understands it. I'll provide the capital and coming out of school, not having a job. I guess that's called being unemployed. Being unemployed, I said, I'll put in the capital and I'll handle the operations. So I go down, buy a few jet skis, begin to try running it. Well, it turns out we can't get the permit to run the jet skis because it's an unprotected bay. And if my friend had even bothered to go in and ask about it, you would have known this within 10 minutes rather than assuming it's okay. So I'd say one thing to do is do your research. I'm not going to take the blame on this part yet though, because that was supposed to be his job. He knew it locally. And if you can't trust a partner, if you have to double check everything a partner does, that's an employee, not a partner. The shame on me becomes I go, okay, no big deal. Let's get into the landscaping business instead, because there's 160 acres here that need to be landscaped and it's a relatively new development. So we go out and I, you know, sell the jet skis for, you know, basically liquidation value, whatever I can get for them, add in more money, go ahead and buy, buy a bunch of plants, ship them down from Florida, get them planted on a handshake agreement. I can't quite get my money back yet out of him and his family. They won't give it to me. And I look up and go, look, this is very frustrating, but we still have the trust there. This is very frustrating not being able to get my money. And my passion really isn't nursery and landscaping. So I go, well, what we've got is right on the bay, we've got an oceanfront piece here where we want to put in a bit of a community center, park, and uh, restaurant. Why I thought I could get into the restaurant business, I don't know. But I say, you know, this sounds great. So let me roll over what you owe me from here. Come over here and get this plot of land. Go ahead and get the permits. I start raising a little bit of outside money and putting money into it. And then right about at this time, my best friend ended up passing away. And the difficulty became, you know, his father had a hard time with it. It really affected the project. But throughout, we hadn't signed a single document. We didn't have operating agreements, just no paperwork, just handshake agreements at the end of the day. So I had ended up getting my friends and family. We invested about, I think it was only $50,000, $75,000 into the restaurant before it ended up failing and no one is able to get their money back at the end of the day when it goes belly up like that. Then everyone's going, well, show us the agreements or anything. I go, I, I didn't have any of those. For the previous three years, I'd invested well over $100,000 and more importantly, three years of my life only to come out and realize I've spent all of my money on bad investments and have nothing to show for it. So I'd say the lesson would be uh, certainly stay within your circle of competence you know, if you're doing moving and storage, don't try to go start doing plastics manufacturing or something. So stay inside your circle of competence, perform your due diligence, and most importantly, have contracts with people. 
Because whether it's your best friend or someone you don't know, the best neighbors are ones with good boundaries where you delineate the responsibilities and the rights from the beginning. And it also reduces the chances of having misunderstandings where you go, no, I thought we'd said, and you go, no, at the bar that one night after a few drinks, you agreed, and then no one knows, and there's a chance you both feel as though you've been wrong, but really you were both just dumb for not getting it down on paper. So <laughs> that would be my worst investment. And I came out, I think I had about seventy, eighty thousand dollars in credit card debt. I had lost three years of my life immediate. I mean, not lost it, but the three years after college where you could be most productive. But I'd say I learned a lot of lessons about doing business. And one of them is that, you know, it really is the Wild West down there in the Caribbean. The courts don't care. If you try to take a case before the courts, they go, wait, you're two foreigners doing business in the Caribbean and you're arguing. I'm not going to parse through this crap. Like, I don't care. Like, yep. whatever. Go have a good day. So I sold a great investment in equipment leasing, liquidated my stock portfolio, and then managed to parlay that into three businesses I knew nothing about and ended up losing all of it. But I enjoyed it. I met hmm. my wife on the island and spent a lot of time at the beach. So there's worse things. Let me uh, summarize some of the things that I take away from it. I mean, the first thing is you remind me when I first moved to Thailand and, you know, when I finally got a, a pretty high paying job, my neighbor, you know, came up with the idea of we're going to go in business together. And he was a, a young Thai man and he wanted to have a little restaurant, which was going to be at the base of our little apartment building. <laughs> and, okay. You know, I, if, if I had any mind of business at the time, I would have said, well, let's see, we'll probably get a maximum of seven customers, you know, but I didn't think about it that way. So, you know, I gave him some cash to set it up and it turned out it really wasn't an investment. It was more of a donation. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and he was yep. such a nice guy and I knew his family. And um, I tell you, that was, uh, that was a little bit of a learning experience. But what I also took away, besides reminding me of that experience, is the idea of overconfidence. And a lot of times when we're in business, we're doing well in our particular area, we can start to think that that could just carry over into another area. And, you know, hey, I could just do this or that. And first of all, you know, when you've got a business that is doing well, you're rare. It's a rare situation when you have a business that's doing well. So it's really important, I think your story highlights it, that double down, figure it out, improve it, make it better and grow it. You know, don't run away from it to go do, you know, this is definitely a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush type of concept. So that's the, mm -hmm. the first thing. The second thing is that when you do have a business that's doing well, the other problem that you face is that you start to grow confident. You know, I'm pretty good at business. I know what I'm doing. And then I've seen a lot of cases of people that were really good business people. And then they ended up saying, well, maybe they sold their business or they cashed out. And then they go, oh, I'm going to invest in the stock market. And the next, next thing you know, they don't know anything about investing in the stock market. They don't know how to reduce their risk. And next thing you know, they've lost half the money that they had gained from 20 years of building that business. Poof, gone like that. So I think kind of the, to me, the biggest lesson out of this is to, to check your overconfidence bias, particularly like when you were saying that, okay, the jet ski thing didn't seem to work. So hey, why not pivot into landscaping? Landscaping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know, that idea, wait a minute, it's just, we just do anything, you know? So that overconfidence bias is probably my, my biggest takeaway. Any thoughts on that? I would agree. It's the hubris of a young man. And then additionally, the thing I learned when I went and started this website is it's not capital intensive to start a website. You need to register a domain, get some cheap posting, certainly put some time into it. 
So if you are going into a capital intensive industry, look at what are the liquidation values on the assets, play out those worst case scenarios. So you know where your exit point is. And something I learned trading in the markets as well is remember the reason you got into an investment, list reasons that you'll get out. So that way, when you hit those reasons, you don't look up and pivot and go, oh no, but this has changed or that's changed. Go, okay, now it's time to wrap it up. Take my losses here and move on. Don't have the confidence that you'll just be able to power through. I think it was Mark Twain, perhaps. Somebody said, you know, bankruptcy, it, it's as if it's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden you go bankrupt and just one day to the next, you don't realize it. All of a sudden you lose that confidence and go, oh crap, I doubled, tripled down just too many times. Mm. Yeah, a lot of good lessons there. All right, so based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Two actions, the importance of hard work and then making sure that if you do have partners, you've got agreements in place at the end of the day. It saves everybody heartache. Yeah, and coming from a guy who's got some legal business and all that, definitely you know that you know, getting it down in writing and getting it structured will provide years of benefit, I would suspect. <laughs> it will. We'll have clients who call in, oh, blah, 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 blah. I go, did you guys sign the operating agreement? They go, no. I go, well, then your company, none of this stuff matters. You're defaulting to Wyoming law. Here's how it works. It looks like you're 50-50 owners. No, but I did this and it's 80-20. I go, do you have it in writing? No. It looks to me like you're 50-50 owners. And then you can just hear the deflation in their voices and you feel for them, but it was as simple as getting something signed. And I think that speaks to the overconfidence in the beginning. When you start off with the company, you're not imagining how it could go wrong, just how it's going to do well. How are you going to divvy up the spoils? And then when you get there and realize there's no spoils, just liquidation value, the finger pointing begins. So, And a good lesson that before I ask you the next question, I would add on to that is, of course, the best time to sign an agreement is before you start your business. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that today you couldn't go back to your business partners and say, hey, why don't we get this down in writing? Even if you're one year, five years, 10 years into it, there is nothing wrong with going back and trying to get it in writing. You know, obviously if everything falls apart, you know, there's nothing to get in writing at that point, but there's never a time that's too late to say, okay, today I'm gonna do this. So. For the listeners out there, if you've put it off, try it, do it, try to make it happen. So last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Continue focusing on the company and then my wife and I are going to be pregnant or I suppose she'll be the pregnant one, but we'll be having a child here starting in the next few months. And those sorts of things really focus your mind in realizing I'm not just building this so I can have a nicer house or go on vacations, but I need to provide for my family. So it's just keep my head down and keep working hard. And fortunately, I enjoy what I do. So like that cliche, it's not really worked for me. I wake up and I'm excited to do it. Like one of my favorite podcast hosts, John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire says, it's the baby effect. It focuses <laughs> your mind. You know, I've got to feed this little thing. So <laughs> very true. And yeah. I think they take out so many hours during the day. You go, okay, I must get this work done now because then it's the diapers and then it's back to the work. It's not this, oh, I've got 14 hours to the day. I wonder what I'm going to do. I think with the baby, you always know what you're going to be doing. Focus, so yeah, focus, the baby focus. effect. Yep. I like that. All right. 
Listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Andrew, I want to thank you again for coming on the show, and I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. I say brave because when I ask most people to come on the show, they say, no, Andrew. I'd prefer to talk about my winners. <laughs> so you have now turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Go listen to more episodes of these podcasts and try to avoid making bad investments, but don't let that fear keep you from trying to make some investments. So always keep trying. Amen. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is Andrew Stotts, your worst podcast host saying, I'll see you on the upside.